This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on insurance. Today I'd like to speak about the need for proof of materiality when making the decision to rescind a policy of insurance. Every rescission case requires proof that the facts misrepresented or concealed when seeking a policy of insurance were material to the decision of the insurer to either accept or reject the risk of uh, issuing a policy of insurance. Different courts have characterized the element of materiality differently. For example, in Connecticut, a fact is material when it would so increase the degree or character of the risk of the insurance so as to substantially influence its issuance or substantially affect the rate of premium. In Indiana, the representations of the insured are material to the risk if a truthful answer would lead the insurer to decline issuing insurance or to charge a higher premium. In Michigan, as a test for determining whether a misstatement in an insurance application is material, a misrepresentation is material if it is such that the insurer would not have entered into the contract had it known the true facts. A key decision of what is necessary to prove that rescission was proper follows in my book, Rescission of Insurance, Second Edition, in full, and which we will discuss partially as this video proceeds. The case is called Imperial Casualty and Indemnity Company versus Sagamonian, a 1988 decision of the California Court of Appeal, where the opinion was written by Justice Krosky. The case began and took 15 years of my life on and off from the time of the issuance of the policy in July of 1982 until the decision in 1988 of the Court of Appeal and various proceedings that took place after the decision of the Court of Appeal. Basically, the facts of the case were that on July 14 of 1982, Imperial issued a homeowner's policy to the defendants, which provided casualty and fire insurance protection for the home. On or about October 9, 1982, defendant's home was destroyed by fire. Following an investigation, Imperial concluded that certain misrepresentations and a number of omissions had been made by the defendants in their application for the policy, which they had submitted to Imperial on June 7, 1982. Based thereon, Imperial filed this action seeking rescission of the policy ab initio, together with the judgment of the court so declaring, and two, 
repayment with interest of advance payments against the then anticipated fire insurance proceeds of $30,300, which Imperial made to the defendants on or about November 18, 1982. On November 30, 1983, defendants filed a cross-complaint which sought compensatory and punitive damages allegedly arising from Imperial's breach of the insurance policy contract, breach of the covenant of good faith and fair dealing implied therein in violation of the provisions of California Insurance Code 790.03 subdivision H. In its motion for summary judgment, Imperial produced evidence that the defendants in responding to the questions in the policy application, one, specifically denied for the immediately preceding three years any loss history and any policy cancellations or renewal refusals, and two, failed to include the following facts, that in February of 1980, within three years of their application to Imperial, defendants suffered landslide damages to their property, which resulted in a legal action for $500,000 in damages filed against them by a downhill neighbor. The claim was submitted by the defendants to their then-insurance carrier, Equitable General Insurance Company. That in 1981, defendants suffered an uninsured loss by theft of precious stones exceeding 100000 in value. That on December 12, 1981, Underwriters Insurance Company had canceled homeowner's policy which it had previously issued on the same property involved in the case. That on March 29, 1982, defendants had presented a water damage claim to Blue Ridge Insurance Company with respect to the same property. That on April 5, 1982, over two months prior to the submission of the application to Imperial, the defendants had been notified by Blue Ridge Insurance Company of the non-renewal of the homeowner's insurance policy, which that company had therefore issued subsequently on July 19, 1982, just a few days after the issuance of Imperial's policy. Defendants were informed of the reason for non-renewal, was substandard property maintenance by the defendants of the same property. Defendants did not ever provide such information to Imperial, and that, at the time of the application, there was pending a lawsuit with Equitable Life Assurance Society, wherein the company sought to rescind a health policy on the grounds that defendants had made material misrepresentations and omissions in the application for that policy and that at the time the application was made to Imperial, defendants had a second mortgage on their policy property with Alliance Bank. The existence of the first mortgage with American Savings and Loan was disclosed. However, the total owed on the home was approximately $425,000, of which nearly one-half or 200000 was secured by the undisclosed second trust deed. Imperial also offered the deposition testimony of one of its former underwriters, who was responsible for making the decision to issue the policy. She testified that she relied on defendant's application 
and had she known the true facts, she would not have approved the issuance of the policy. At the conclusion of the opinion, the judgment was reversed with directions to the trial court to make and enter a new order granting summary adjudication of issues, which is consistent herewith, and to conduct such further proceedings as may be appropriate to resolve any remaining money damage claims, which may exist between Imperial and the defendants. Each side shall bear their own costs, and basically what happened when it was finally sent to trial was that Mr. Sagamonian and his broker were ordered to indemnify Imperial and, and its co-insurer, underwriters at Lloyd's London, for all monies spent in the presentation of advance payments and in the cost expended in the investigation and litigation expenses. I testified in that trial. My life was threatened by Mr. Sagamonian in the courtroom, and I was literally escorted out of the courtroom after my testimony was completed with an armed sheriff's deputy and bailiff who protected me as I returned to my vehicle and the case was eventually resulted in Sagamonian and his broker paying over $500,000 to Imperial and the underwriters at Lloyd's for his fraud, not for bad faith, for his fraud, and of course his bad faith case was dismissed. Mr. Sagamonian was not a nice man. He became, among others, the subject of hearings before Congress of the United States in 1996 concerning and resulting in a report about Russian organized crime in the United States, where some of the testimony provided included that from U.S. Customs. Had the insurers known about the information reported to the U.S. Senate ten years after the case was over, they would have been more careful in their dealings with Mr. Sagamonian. The fact that the suit was resolved by proof of rescission eliminated the need for evidence of criminal activity and arson, although there was substantial evidence that the fire was an arson caused by a member of the Sagamonian family. Of course, the evidence was never presented at trial because it was unnecessary once rescission was granted, and there was no need to present that evidence that had been gathered as part of the claims investigation. In the suit gallery, Five Star Menswear, Inc. v. Granite State Insurance Company, a 2011 decision of the California Court of Appeal, the court affirmed the rescission of an insurance policy as a matter of law because of material misrepresentation of fact. Note the use of an agent or broker who 
in the full text of the decision, which is available in the book Rescission of Insurance, Second Edition, that the use of an agent or broker who made the material misrepresentations did not protect the insured because the agent or broker making a misrepresentation is the same as the insured making one. In addition, an insurance policy may be voided even if the insured's misrepresentation was a, ma a mistake or made in good faith. The equitable remedy of rescission under federal common law borrows from traditional principles of contract law requiring that misstatements or omissions be material to warrant rescission. In this regard, misstatements or omissions are material when they would have influenced the decision to enter into the disputed contract with the omitting or misrepresenting party. A misrepresentation is material when the insurer would have entirely rejected the risk by not issuing any policy, or where the premium would have been different if it had known of the facts misrepresented. The proper materiality question under State of Michigan statutes is whether the contract issued at the specific premium rate agreed upon would have been issued notwithstanding the misrepresented facts. The insurer Everest's actual knowledge or constructive knowledge is irrelevant. Under California law, a party may rescind an insurance contract if the other party made representations false in a material point. And materiality by statute is determined solely by the probable and reasonable effect which truthful answers would have had upon the insurer. The materiality inquiry is a subjective test viewed from the insurer's perspective. So for a concealment or misrepresentation to be material, it must be sufficiently substantial to matter to a reasonable insurer. A concealment or misrepresentation that impacts the investigation of an insurer into the cause of a fire is material. Likewise, a concealment or misrepresentation about items of personal property that were allegedly destroyed by a fire is material unless the amount of money involved in the concealment or misrepresentation is so small that a reasonable insurer is not likely to care about it. In New York, a misrepresentation is material if the insurer would not have issued the policy had it known the facts misrepresented. To establish materiality as a matter of law, the insurer must present documentation concerning its underwriting practices, such as underwriting manuals, bulletins, or rules pertaining to similar risks that show that it would not have issued the same policy if the correct information had been disclosed on the application. A misrepresentation is a false representation, and the facts misrepresented are those facts which make the representation false. A misrepresentation is considered material 
if an insurer would not have issued the policy. And an insurer need only show that a misrepresentation substantially thwarted the purpose for which the information is demanded and induces action which the insurance company might otherwise not have taken. This video was adapted from my book, Rescission of Insurance, 2nd Edition, which is available as a Kindle book and a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be interesting or useful to you and your colleagues, please pass it on. It's free. And please also subscribe to my YouTube channel, my Rumble channel, and click on the Like button and the Rumble button as you do, and to my blog and my Substack publications so that you can learn of future videos and future blog postings. Thank you for your attention.